Hey, I'm Matt Simpkins, pastor of Christ South, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope this builds you up. I hope this helps you in your faith. I hope this helps you to see God at work. We'll see you at the end of the podcast. We are in a series, a sermon series called Workout Plan. Workout Plan. Everybody say, Workout Plan. This is my favorite day. This is my absolute favorite day. We started out, anybody remember what we started out with two weeks ago? Cardio. Everybody said cardio. And last week, what was last week? Anybody remember? Stretching. Everybody get a good stretch in. It's going to be a long sermon. You better get your stretch in now. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. My favorite, though, is this one. It's lifting. Who is with me on lifting? Like, lifting is the best part of the workout. Anybody with me? Say, woo. Yes, I love it. And I, I, like, I've always loved it more than anything else. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's just, like, part of my makeup or the way that, like, I was born and my body works. But, like, every time I work out, like, I work out and I come out of the gym looking like I've been working out for, like, six months. You know what I'm talking about? Like, does anybody else do that where, like, you lift and, like, all of a sudden, like, I'll walk in and Melody be like, you lifted today. I'm like, yeah, dude, baby, what's up? (laughs) It's my favorite. I love the lift. It's like my favorite part of the workout. But I used to not know how to do it, right? And then I sort of had to train. I had to learn how to do it right. Usually I used to go in, and I was one of those kids that, like, because um, I played a little bit of sports. I wasn't great at sports, but I played a little bit of sports. And, like, I love to do, like, to go in and do the biceps one, right? What's this one called? The, the what? Right? Right? And so, like, I would go in, and I'd just, like, huff it, man, get everything I got. And so then I'd, like, have my biceps would look really good and swell up, and I'd be like, I'm done. And that's it. That's all you need, right? Or then I'd go in, and I'd, like, do the bench, right? Anybody like to do the bench press stuff? Has anybody ever made the mistake of bench pressing while you're by yourself? Yeah, I did that one time. And I was, I got, I, anyway, the, anyway, and it was an accident. But I'm okay. Everybody, I lived. Everybody okay? Yeah. So I got actually a, pic- a picture of me at, um, at the gym. Uh, I think it's there. That's it right there. <laughs> That's me uh, last week. I was working out and just handling my business. Recently, though, I learned how to properly lift weights, right? To properly lift weights. I was uh, working out with my buddy Josh, and, um, and he was showing me, like, when I bench press, I would just kind of lay on the back of the bench, and I would just, you know, bring the weight down and push it up, right? That's just what you do. He was like, no, 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 no. You're, you're missing out on the whole point of the bench press. Because in bench press, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to kind of push onto your shoulder blades and get your feet kind of back up under you. So you're kind of on, the, on, the, on your heels of your feet, and you use your whole body to extend this bar up. I had no idea. I've been doing it wrong for years. But you have to actually get the entirety of your body together. And all of a sudden, my bench press weight was like, it was like almost doubled. I had no idea that like you would use the entirety of your body to do this. But, uh, all right, I'm going to read you a story. You guys, I want you to hang on to that for just a second, okay? Just hang on to that for just a second. Let's read a story together. This is Matthew 27, 27 through 37. And this is a familiar story. I think you'll know it. And, uh, and I'm just going to read it to you here. Every muscle working together for the lift. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. And they gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand and knelt before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spat on him, took the reed and struck him on the head. And after mocking him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes back on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. 
As they went out, they came upon a man from Cyrene named Simon. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they had come to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he wouldn't drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves, casting lots. And then they sat down there and kept watch over him. Over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, altogether, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. Well, I got news for you. This is a, this is a you know, really fun day. We had a really great day. It's all over now. Only sad stuff going forward. No, I'm just kidding. This isn't actually going to be a sermon about the crucifixion. But I want to talk about the little, almost forgotten, blink and you'll miss it part. Does anybody remember what happened in there? It happened really, really fast. And it was just that one little sentence, and then it was back onto everything else. Anybody remember what it was? As they went out, they came upon a man from Cyrene, is actually how you pronounce it, named Simon. And they compelled this man to carry Jesus' cross. It's one sentence. Comes at you fast, doesn't it? In the middle of that whole thing, I mean, when you walk away, probably you're mostly thinking about the crucifixion, right? Thinking about Jesus and the death and the walk and the, all of the stuff that's going on, and especially the clothes and the mocking and the sign and everything else that's going on. But there's three things that happen in that sentence. There's three things that we get told. One, we know where he's from. Everybody say where. We know, oh, that was good. You were answering the questions. For all of you guys that are regular parts of my sermons, man, I appreciate that. That's good. Full contact we do here at Christ's house. Two, what happened? Everybody say what. And then three, we know who he is. Everybody say who. All right. So we get these three things. The first, we know he's from Cyrene. Everybody say Cyrene. And every time somebody says to you, Cyrene, you can look at him and go, it's, uh, it's actually Cyrene. You're welcome. It's in North Africa. Anybody know where Libya is? Anybody ever been to Libya? This would be interesting. Anybody ever been to Libya? One, two, yeah, maybe. So think about this. Let's think about, like, maps. Cyrenian Jews were folks that were from Cyrene, which was around Libya, and they actually had a synagogue in Jerusalem. Right? And this is the holy place that you would normally come. And this is the time of the year. Does anybody remember what time of the year it was in the Jewish holiday structure that Jesus was being crucified? It was during Passover, right? So this is a big time that you might, if you were going to make a trek to Jerusalem, this might be the time that you would do that. It's possible. We don't know a lot about Simon, but we do know that it's possible that he could have been a tourist, that maybe he had traveled to Jerusalem for Passover. But here's the thing. I don't know if you know this, but Cyrene is 1,140 miles from Jerusalem. It's not like going up to the Providence campus, which is just a quick 20-minute jaunt it's 1,140 miles to Jerusalem, which, if you're calculating via Google, which I did, you're welcome, is a 15-day nonstop walk. 15 days nonstop walk. So we know where he's from. Two, we know what happened. It said he was grabbed out of the crowd, just grabbed right out of the crowd and compelled to carry the cross. 
Now, the Greek word there, it actually is, is to, like, employ a courier, right, or to hire somebody to go do something for you. Or if, like, you were a company that had interns or pages or, or like, a runner that would go do these extra things that you needed to done, that's the same kind of word they were used. They would, he was pressed into service. And three, maybe it's most important, too. We know his name. Now, in the midst of all of this stuff that's going on, there's all kinds of characters in the story, right? There's the centurion, which we just know as the centurion. There's all these other people that are, like, casting lots for his clothes, right? And they're just those that cast lot for his clothes. But we get his name. And when the Bible does this, when the Bible gives us that level of detail, it means pay attention to what happens here. We know his name, which means that this part of the story matters. Our walk away from the story could be Jesus' suffering. Amen? Amen? Amen. Right? I mean, and it, and it, it could be. Maybe, maybe, it, maybe it should be. That cross was our sin and our brokenness. It was both beautiful and tragic. But God wants us to remember this particular part of the story, and here's why. Here's number one. They make note to make sure that we know that it was not just some guy in the crowd, but it was Simon of Cyrene, which means he wasn't necessarily part of the Jewish culture that was right there. He wasn't necessarily one who was known as being native. We have an outsider who's compelled to carry the cross. An outsider. Two, he carries the cross for the Lord compelled to do so, to pick up the cross, whatever it weighed, whatever it looked like, whatever was attached to it, whether it had splinters, whether it had any kind of other issues, whether it had been used before and still had all kinds of yuck on it from the person before, whatever it was, it didn't matter. What we do know is that he carried the cross for the Lord. Now, did God need this? Everybody say no. No. Did Jesus need this? No, think about it. If this is Jesus, the word made flesh, this is God present, this is Emmanuel, right? God with us. Then Jesus has got enough power in his little pinky to smite all of Rome in one second. Thanos style. You like that? Little Avengers for the kids? Little Avengers for the kids? God could have brought angels in, but God didn't. God didn't. God walked in our humanness on purpose, felt our pain on purpose, felt loss and hurt on purpose. And oh, poor Simon, probably just going out to get himself a hamburger and just happened to be in this crowd, right? I can almost see it like he's just a tourist. I'm just looking to buy a nice roadside hamburger, and all of a sudden I get yanked out of the crowd and told you are going to carry the cross for that guy. Heck, I'd almost be worried they'd end up putting me on the thing. I'd be freaked out, right? He didn't offer. They compelled him to do so. He was commanded to do so, and it was inconvenient. Because if it wasn't inconvenient, then he would have offered to do so. If it wasn't inconvenient, then they wouldn't have to have compelled him to do so. If it wasn't inconvenient, then he might have just walked out, volunteered, picked up the cross without anybody asking him to do so. But he didn't. It says that he was commanded to do so. It's not like he was strolling into Golgotha. Oh, let me go check and see what's going on in the village garbage dump with all the dead people and the thieves. Woo! Absolutely not. He's commanded. See, God wants us to see 
Jesus' humanity plus God's inconvenient call to us to bear the cross for others. God wants us to see Jesus' humanity plus God's inconvenient call to care for the cross of others. I'm going to tell you a personal story, and I'm going to apologize right now if I get a little emotional during it. Y'all okay with that? Everybody say yeah. Okay, I guess if you're not, then I don't know what you could do except maybe play on your iPhone or something like that right now. I'm going to tell you a story. I used to work at a church in Atlanta. Um, it was called Redeemer Lutheran Church. Actually, it was called Lutheran Church of the Redeemer. Oh, no, it was like Evangel. It had a big name. It doesn't matter. We called it Redeemer. And we started this other thing in it called House of the Rock. Right? House of the Rock was where I was called as a pastor before I was here. It was awesome. Got to do some really, really cool things. We actually started our worship service in a food ministry. All right? So Wednesday mornings, we had about 250, 300 um, mostly men, mostly homeless, lots and lots of um, addicts and folks that were dealing with some really serious issues. And we said, we're going to just develop a worship service where the people already are. So we started doing worship, and we started serving communion, and all of a sudden we started to see the whole vibe in the place change. Every Wednesday morning, guys were coming forward for communion, and it was beautiful, and it was messy, but it was awesome. We noticed this one guy, though, and he was always smiling, and almost like kind of weirdly smiling, right? And, and he would uh, have really great conversations where he would just laugh and laugh and laugh. And um, a lot of times he would have really great conversations, but he was by himself, if you know what I mean, right? And he was always there, and, 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 and then he loved communion. He loved communion, and he really kind of took a liking to us in the worship, and he really kind of took a liking to me as the pastor. And so I would get these questions. He would always come up to me after every Wednesday worship service, and he would ask me these questions. And they were the kind of conversations where, do you know what I mean? When like somebody asks you a question, but they don't really want to ask you a question. They just want to tell you something. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Say yeah. 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 So, so he would come up, and he would, and he would say, I have a question for you. I said, okay. And I learned his name was Emma, which I thought was a strange name for a small African man, but whatever, Emma. And so Emma would come up and ask me a question. It would go on and on. And it was the kind of questions that, like, you couldn't get away from, right? So he would start in on these questions, and I would kind of be, like, stuck. You know what I mean? Like, I have other things I got to do. I got a staff meeting upstairs. Um, yeah, you know what? Can we just, can we talk about it maybe next time? It was very, very inconvenient timing. Consistently, Emma was inconvenient with his questions. He loved coming to the food ministry, and he loved worship. And somehow he found out that we were also doing this thing at campus ministry on Tuesday nights where we'd serve dinner and have worship. So all of a sudden, Emma starts coming to our Tuesday night college night dinner. And, and Emma's probably like in his late 30s, early 40s, but he's showing up, bags of stuff and all, just coming in. He wants to eat. And of course, we've always said, and we always will, all are welcome. Come on. And he would come and he would eat and it was wonderful. And then we started noticing that after a while, Emma started kind of having these weird questions. He was doing the same thing to all the college students. And there were a couple of college students that got kind of afraid because we had this guy that they didn't know how to like operate. And, and they were Georgia Tech students and nothing against Georgia Tech students, but they're not real uh, extroverts. <laughs> he even came to a class one time at Redeemer and it was just this weird moment where we were talking about the stoning of Stephen. 
and this this very kind of dark and depth filled like moment of sadness, and and that, that Stephen looked to the heavens and he's dying and the, the rocks and it's awful, and he, Emma just blurts out, ah, <laughs> Stephen, and we're like. What is happening? I mean, it was such an awkward and strange thing to be a part of, this guy's life. And so when he came to campus ministry, after a while, I was like, man, I wonder if, like, you should come for dinner. We want you to eat, but, but maybe you ought not stick around. And he was starting to corner kids, and they were freaking out. And, and, and Georgia Tech students can't handle that really well. They just can't. And they were weird questions, and they'd be stuck. And I found myself trying to avoid him. But he kept coming. Fine. All are welcome. All are welcome. But then I thought, I probably need to protect the kids. I don't know what this guy's up to. I don't know anything about what his background is, his past. And so I said, Emma, one night, um, come on outside, man. I need to talk to you. And I shared with him my concern. I said, I love that you're here. I'm going to make sure that you have a dinner every Tuesday. You just come by and pick it up. But this night's for the college kids. And let me, let me be with you on Wednesday mornings. And he said, I understand. I totally understand. It was a tough moment for a pastor, but I did feel like I needed to protect the kids a little bit because I didn't know them. I thought, but why is this guy bugging me? Why is this on my time? Why is this something on my shoulders that I've got to deal with? There are so many others that need something. And then he said it. He said, if my mother knew that I was sleeping on the streets, she would be terrified. Out of nowhere, if my mother knew that I was sleeping on the streets, she would be terrified. I said, well, why don't you tell your mother? And he said, I don't want to bother her. She's in Nigeria, and she can't do anything. But I just couldn't shake it. If my mother knew that I was sleeping on the streets, she'd be terrified. I asked him if he had any way to contact her, and he said he had a couple of email addresses. And I said, well, would you mind if I just, you know, just saw the email addresses, just to, just to see what they looked like? Maybe, I, I don't know, I was trying to think of any way that I could get a hold of these email addresses from him. And he finally relented and gave me, the, gave me the email addresses. And so I reached out, and I actually have the email here. I thought you might like to hear this. Hello, family of Emma. I'm Pastor Matt Simpkins here in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Lutheran Church of the Redeemer in the House of the Rock. Your brother, son, Emma, has been coming to church here for the last couple of months. I'm writing to you on his behalf to let you know that he's not well. I'm not sure what kind of help and support you may be able to offer him, but I think it'd be good for you to get in contact with him and maybe his mother in Nigeria. Please forward her contact to me and my cell phone. If that's possible, please send her this number and let her know he's not doing well and can use some family help. He's currently very confused sleeping on the streets, and is living very unsafe conditions. I want to help him, but I'm not quite sure how. Please call me or email as soon as possible. He didn't want to bother you all, but I insisted. Several days passed. Saw Emma at the food ministry again, just showing up like normal, laughing, asking me long questions. <laughs> and I got a call on my cell phone right after the food ministry was over and everybody had already gone, from the longest phone number I had ever seen come up on my phone ever. <laughs> when I answered the phone, I thought, oh, it's going to be some weird telemarketing thing. And this very soft, kind of scratchy voice, I heard a woman say, is this Pastor Matt? Yeah. You have my Emma. 
Yes, we do. I talked to her for a while. She wept. Her father, the, his father got on the phone, who was a pastor in Nigeria. He wept, said that they had been, he had been lost for a year. They hadn't been able to contact him. Last time they knew where he was was in Texas, and he had left his family's home there, and they had no idea where he was. A year. They'd been waiting and searching for Emma. Said, let's get him a hotel. Let's see if we can get him a hotel room and see if we can sort out how to, how to get him some help. Just let me know what we need to do. All I need right now is his full name, if you wouldn't mind telling me his full name. And they said, um, his name is Emmanuel Ignuma. Emmanuel Ignuma. Now, if you've been paying attention to any Greek along the way, you know what Emmanuel means. God with us. The word for spirit is pneuma. His name translates to God with us through the spirit. I can't make this stuff up. This inconvenient cross was God present right in front of me. We were able to reconnect him a few months later, flew him home to Nigeria. I think we got a picture of that. I heard from him a few years later. Emma is doing well. He wrote me, a, uh, wrote me a letter that he's gotten on some medications to help him be able to concentrate and, and feel better, and he's healthy with his family. And he writes, from Reverend, he's now a pastor in Nigeria. This is Emmanuel Enanuma. In parentheses, he wrote, former homeless in Atlanta, as if I could forget him. Sorry for a long time now I have not contacted you. I would have sent you an email, but I didn't have your email address. I got it from my sister in Canada a couple of days ago. Thanks once more for all you all did for me when I was there and in Canada, especially for keeping my two luggage when I was about to be flying back to Nigeria. Side note, he had 10 suitcases of things. <laughs> Extend my greeting to your sons and your wife. I would like you to know that I have been quite busy treating myself here in Nigeria. Moreover, I had to travel to see my pastor and my other family friend. I was privileged to be ordained as a reverend and honored as a doctor in Christian ministry and evangelism. I will call soon. Please send your mobile number. Thanks and God bless you. Emmanuel Egnuma. Remember what I said about bench pressing? It takes our whole body to work together to lift the weights. Every bit of who we are, hands, the feet, the back, the shoulders, the chest, and the arms. That's what the church is for. That's what Christ South exists to do. If the poor and broken in our community don't know who we are as a church, we are no more a church than a country club, amen? It's what we're called to do. This year is called That Moment Changed Everything. And I told you we'd be hearing some stories about that moment changed everything. And so I'm going to invite our good friend up to the stage uh, to share a little bit. Um, Ashley is an incredible servant of the Lord and um, love, to hear, love to hear her story. We need the, the handheld mic wherever that disappeared to, wherever that disappeared to. Y'all uh, might have to bear with me a minute. Dang it, I'm already crying. Um, 
Pastor Matt called me, I think it was Thursday, and asked me if I, he wanted me to share my story. And I was like, absolutely. And granted, this happened six months ago, but it's still really tough to talk about. July 7th, 2018 was the day that changed my life forever. I went to work that day. I was fine. I came home because I wasn't feeling good. I sat down, and my wife sat next to me, looked me in my eyes, and said, I'm leaving you. Had no idea any of this was coming. She completely blindsided me with this whole thing. And in that day, I lost, I lost my spouse. I lost my home. I lost everything. I even, funny enough, lost my dog. And you wouldn't think that would be bad, but it was. Um, so I called my mom. I said, Mom, Farron's left me. She says, I'm on my way. She got in the car that night, drove 16 hours to come get me. Got there the next morning, came, got me, and literally drove 16 hours back. Stayed up in New York for about two weeks. I was like, Mom, I gotta go home. And she's like, well, what's, I said, I've gotta go home. I said, I need to go home to get my life together. I said, and I need to go to my church. And so she got me a flight, I came back home. I got home on a Friday. And I woke up that Sunday morning and I struggled with, should I come to church? I don't know if I can do this. I'm not sure I want to. I walked in the door and I was met with the most love I have ever felt in my life. There wasn't a single person in this congregation that didn't come to me and say, I love you, you're important, and you deserve to be here. The second moment that changed my life, which is why I'm actually up here, and they don't know that I'm doing this, but I don't remember if it was the first Sunday I was back or the next Sunday, I was sitting in the teacher's lounge and I was talking to Jessica. And she looked at me and she said, if you need a place to stay, you are more than welcome to come to my house. And I just kind of looked at her and in that moment I thought, is this what church is? Is this how you're supposed to feel? when you've lost everything, but yet a person that you don't really know invites you to come live in their home. And I thought about it, and I was actually staying with some friends, and I sent her a message one day, and I said, Can I, is it still okay if I take you up on this offer? And she said, absolutely, come on. September 22nd was the day that I moved into her house. And granted, I, have not wanted, I had not planned on staying as long as I have, and we've had several conversations about me wanting to leave because I felt like I was a burden. And I'll never forget this. She looked at me, I was sitting at the kitchen table and she looked at me with tears coming down her face and she said, if this was my child, I would want somebody to take care of them. This family, John and Jessica and Brayden and Logan have literally become my second home. And it's funny because I knew John from playing softball and I didn't know a lot about him, but I, you know, he had an incredible personality and I was like, this is awesome. And funny enough, my ex-wife, I felt, actually knew Jessica a little better because they were sitting in the stands talking. So these people that I never really knew offered their home to me and I've created or developed whether they think that they're not, they say they're not old enough to be my parents but I consider them my second parents, and I've gained two brothers in the process. That moment for me was the moment that saved my life. 
it saved my life because I don't know if I would have had somebody that reached out to me like that, I don't know where I would be. I don't know where I would be staying. I don't know where I would be living. So I want to say thank you because if it wasn't for you, I don't know where I would be. Amen. The cross is never convenient, amen? Let us pray. God, thank you so much for stories of resurrection. Stories of new life. Lord, you call us to be paying attention to those around us. To lift one another's burdens. To take hold of that cross, Lord. It's tough sometimes because when we encounter those, it's inconvenient. We, we don't know where we're going to have the resources or, or how we're going to have all the different things we need to have to share and to help. But God, you provide. You always have and you always will. So therefore, Lord, we can believe. We give you thanks and praise this day for giving us moments where everything changes. To you be all honor and glory now and forever. And all of God's children say. All right, I hope that was helpful. If so, I ask you a couple of things. One, share this with a friend so that they can hear some good news in their life too. And if you want to continue that impact beyond, we ask that you go to ChristSouth.org to the online giving tab and give to this ministry so that we can continue to share this with others. We'll see you on the next podcast or maybe in person at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at Polo Ridge Elementary in Charlotte, North Carolina. Blessings and peace. Have an awesome week.